So what are you willing to pay $3,500 for? I don't know if I'm willing to pay for Apple. What are those things called? AR, VR. The Pro Vision Pros. Is that what it is? Something like that. I forgot. But I I'm do think sure. it's going to, I think they're going to be successful. It's interesting. Saw saw people talking about it. You know, I don't I don't follow any of this stuff anymore. You know, I I guess you know ten years ago people were really excited about the Apple, um, you know, the Apple party where they released some things. Didn't even know it was happening. Um, saw that some people. I saw thirty five hundred dollars was trending. I guess on Twitter, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder what this is. And I saw, and I was like, oh, okay. And at first, I was like, wow, that seems a little a little crazy. And then I did some research and I realized that actually a lot of these goggles are already in the 15 to 20, 1500 to $2,000 range. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So they're, these, these guys are going to make, they're going to send, I think I told you, I think they're going to sell like 10 million of these things. Cause I was like, you know, there's a lot of early adopters. People just going to want to get them, yada, yada, yada. And then I saw a stat that Apple was only expecting to sell what, two or 300,000 of them. And I, and I simply did some math and that's, I think, I think one. that's that from a pretty yeah for the first run production uh, for the version one yeah and that's a billion dollars yeah which is instant, ridiculous to think about instant, instant unicorn they have a lot of unicorns so does Amazon obviously yeah. a lot of people don't realize you know certain I'm things sure that, I'm sure that just buying uh, power cords for Apple is probably a billion dollar unicorn. business yeah are are these well bought for you like do people buy those a lot Yours? I don't know man I don't know I mean they're, I, yeah. people swear by the little ones. Yeah. What are those called? I, mean, I the AirPod Pro. Or yeah, AirPod, yeah, AirPod. Is that what you wear when you're running? Or do you wear those? Yeah. No, these are way too big and heavy. This is just for the show. Well, we are uh, delighted that uh, you have exclusive headphones just for the show. Um, thank right. you Tim Cook and Apple and uh, all that nonsense. So as we're talking about money, this is a, a great time to bring in today's guest who um you may think just by seeing him for the first time is ready to be playing a video game, but no, it's not. He's also not a race car driver. <laughs> He's Ben Munson. Ben, welcome. To well, the I do, I do play game. video games in this exact same seat, Zach Miller, so you're not far off. Really? What kind of video yes. games? Uh, I mean, all kinds, honestly. I, I, I'm really into some uh, real-time strategy, sort of World War II Oh, your guys' strategy is. games. I love those. So, Tim, do you play video games? No, I uh, no. I don't get. Man, as much I, time I, as I do a couple things on my on my phone that I'll do. Uh, I'll I elevate. I do the, the elevation app, which is uh, just brain games. You try to keep my 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 mind sharp, if you will. Um, but mine is more to numb the feeling yeah. in my brain. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There are, there are, yeah, there's just times, man, after a long day, you just need to, you just need to veg out doing something just to let, not, not think critically, uh, just kind of chill. I a agree. lot of people will watch uh, TV or binge on Netflix. I'm, I've just never been that, that kind. So I know Zach Miller loves his Netflix. Um, I'm currently watching a show that I'm not really that deep into yet that I'm sure Tim loves. Um, and it just finished. It's, called succession oh um, yeah 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 it's taken me about two weeks to get three or four episodes in which is like i don't know i just it hasn't hasn't hooked me yeah. is it gonna is it gonna hook me Wait, well i mean so they're saying that that will be one of uh, hbo's biggest like maybe second to like sopranos um 
I don't know about that. Because Sopranos and The Wire are usually the ones that um, are up there. And I think Sopranos is slightly maybe over. What about a Game of Thrones? Aren't you forgetting about Game of Thrones? I think Game of Thrones is probably the most overrated show of all time and absolutely the worst ending of all time. There is probably one of the biggest money makers, though. I, I don't know if that's true. Episode. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's true. I tried giving it a second go and I couldn't even mm-hmm. get through episode. Like, I think I got through one episode and I was just like, mm. too many, too many characters for me. I just, I can't keep up with them all. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that makes it really, really tough. And, and like, I've tried to make a, uh, like a, a real concerted effort to put my phone down because now when you're watching these shows, there, there's so many nonverbal things that are part of the show to try to keep people's attention and I miss it. And then, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to put my phone down. Oh, because okay, so you know, usually when people are like finding a, uh, I remember finding stats like this when writing anomaly. It's like people are constantly, um, they're so ADD, they're channel surfing on everything that yeah. they do, even if it's the internet at a networking event, whatever. Watching this show, you know, they're constantly doing something else. And growing up, we had just one TV, right? That's what we focused on. Right now, we have second screen, third string. Uh, f- third screen, fourth screen um, experiences, and that's a lot to handle for some people. It is. But, um, I, Zach, a- I, I, my my daughter's thirteen. I walk in to the living room the other day. She has the TV on. She has her Apple laptop. She has her phone in a little stand, and she has her iPad. And I'm like four screens and all two did to different things. Like how, how do you even pay attention? I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, sports would be uh, something you, like, um, yeah, you can do it with sports, but like yeah. anything else, man. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's impressive because they're, yeah, that's, what's nice about like going to a sports bar. If you're trying to watch multiple things, but it, I find that usually you're focused on one though, or, or kind of like um, the equivalent of uh, red zone. Where you're focused yeah, that's on what what's to about to happen. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the kids are wired differently these days, but I, I can't focus on like if I'm trying to listen to a book, I gotta be focused on that book. If I'm trying to read a book, I gotta be focused on that thing. I'm trying to watch something yeah. and I really want to watch it, like I gotta be focused Even on Even then, my thoughts will, will wander and, and yeah. then I'll have to end up rewinding it. <laughs> mm. Happens all the time. So when I first met you, Ben, it was back, uh, I would say, 2012 to 2014 timeframe. You were uh, working down, what do you think that was 2012 timeframe? Yeah, probably? 2012. Yeah, I would say 2012. Yeah. Okay. So 2012, you were working uh, corporate America uh, on Main Street in downtown Norfolk. You were uh, in the banking world. And uh, you seemed to be a pleasant person. You know, we would we would see each other on, on, on occasion. Um, but I guess during that time... You know, and did you go to school for banking, by the way? So, well, no, I mean, it was more of a business degree. It was an economics yeah. degree. So, yeah. I mean, mm. you know, you come out, of, I, I, I had no clue what I wanted to do when I came out of college. And, you know, my dad wanted me to get a job. So uh, the guy down the street worked at a local bank. So I, I went down there and uh, handed him my resume. And I, I worked at that bank for 12 years after that. And then wow. Oh, wow. Um, that's when you and I met when I was there. And then, um, you know, this story and I've told it publicly a couple of times, but there, you know, there was a time when I felt like I kind of hit the the top of my career and I'm sure other people have felt the same. And I just, I was kind of looking, you know, what do I do? What do I do? And really, I kind of honestly would have stayed in that area, in that, in that flux for a long time, had I not had a boss that I just didn't like and that we didn't get along. So 
having that pushed me to leave that job and then pursue my uh, career in mortgage in the mortgage banking. And I mean, it's been awesome. So yeah, I mean, sometimes having a bad boss and leaving a job, it, it's a blessing, even though you don't know it at the time, it's so scary. So yeah. what drew you to uh, the, the mortgage industry? Or is that something you did when you're in banking? Well, yeah, I mean, so I always, you know, I always did personal loans or business loans. Uh, but, you know, in banking, you reach this point where you either are, are going to go into the business world or, or the business banking world and loan money to businesses, or you're going to go into the personal world and make loans to individuals. So I decided on going the individual route. I loved helping people. I thought home ownership was just a, a really cool thing that provided so so much wealth to so many Americans that it was just, it would be so cool to be a part of that and to help people with it. So, you know, I, I frankly, that's a little deeper than I was thinking at the time when I was looking for a job at the time, I was just kind of wanted a job and it was something that fell on my lap. But looking back on it, that's, that's kind of why I felt like I was drawn to that. Did you so. quit the job with a job in line or did you no. have anything? Uh -huh. I had nothing lined up. So it was almost like a, one of those Jerry Maguire moments, like middle of the day. And um, my wife, I had kind of seen the writing on the wall and my wife and I had uh, gotten our finances to a point where we could, it wouldn't be a problem if I quit. And I just texted my wife one day. I was like, today's the day. She was like, go ahead. Wow. And so it was, it was a scary as hell at, at the time, but just looking back, so life-changing. Two, two so. other things that I want to just quickly at least mention that I I've always appreciated about you is that uh, number one is I love that you drive a trashy car. Like I love that you don't <laughs> care. You got like an old beater. That's like 15 years old. It's a Honda civic, maybe a Honda court, something like that. You don't care. It's just like, it gets me from point A to point B. I don't need to be flashy. I'm gonna put this money somewhere else. And, and so maybe just tell me about that mindset uh, around yeah. that. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about is how uh, you were the first person I've ever met you and Chris Tillett, who was on the show, um, you know, gosh, maybe in 2021, maybe, uh, how you guys had that flipping business. And you were the first people that I'd actually ever met. Mm. You know, I'd seen people that had done flipping business, but I'd never known anyone uh, that would do it. You guys would buy video games, flip them, uh, and, and turn that into some cash. And so I, I always thought that was interesting, learning learning the ropes about that um, from you guys. Um, so like the car and, mm -hmm. and the video game business, just, just briefly chat about both of those. Well, it's, it's funny because both of those kind of like relate to that time in my life where I was leaving the bank. I mean, not having a car payment. God, man, that's like such a blessing, especially when you're, you know, changing careers and that kind of thing. So um, the car thing. So, I mean, really, I've just never been a car guy. I just have never really cared that much for having a great car. As long as I got some bl uh, Bluetooth in there and I can listen to my, my, my music, like I'm pretty much fine with it. So you know, I always felt like that was an area of my life I could cut and and not have to overspend it, you know. But it has a cassette so, player in it. So you actually have to put your DVD player in there to do it. Or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are those cassettes with the little wire that goes That's to the right. CD player? That's yeah. right. So put it into the headphone jack and you're, you're exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, you know, that's, again, that was, that time of my life was just, uh, it was good to not have a car payment. And then the whole video game, uh, flipping thing, you know, that played into it because that was a little bit of an extra income stream and the time I was making the transition. So it, it honestly flipping video games for me was more fun than it was work. Cause I just love like, and when we say, say flipping video games, I'm talking about, I go to yard sales or I go to Facebook groups and I find like this, where is it? This one behind me right here. This, uh, I don't know if you, if you're listening, you can't see it, but it's the golden eye, 
uh, Nintendo 64 inbox edition. So, you know, I'd find stuff like that and just find and arbitrage it. Go take it from a yard sale or Facebook marketplace, put it on eBay or Amazon. Is that one worth a decent amount of money? Uh, That was honestly not not that much because they made so many of them. It's probably maybe a hundred bucks. So what's what's the biggest uh, win in terms of flipping video games? Okay, I found there was this one game I found for 60 cents at a thrift shop. It was an old PC game, like an old like world. It was a World War Two PC game. It was fun. We were just talking about that. But it was like from 1999. It was in the box. It had all the booklets and everything. And I sold it for 160 bucks. <laughs> I, I was I, that's crazy, and I was I was reading like um, people will buy like old iPhones or iPads with Flappy Birds on it um, for like ten thousand oh, really? dollars. Yeah, what? Why? Because they can't get it anymore. They killed that game. Yeah, the uh, the the guy that that made the game, he took it off the uh, the the App Store just because it was so addicting that it was uh, like it's just done. And so people that had that game downloaded on a device. If you have that game, it's it's worth a lot of money because that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I, I honestly I'm trying to think if I have an old iPhone now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Zach. When you had mentioned that, I thought that you had misspoke when you're like uh, flipping video games. And I was like, you mean houses? But wow, well, that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, well, I remember you guys would like, if I recall, the game was finding uh, not not necessarily singles, single units, but like boxes. Like someone's like here buy my entire uh, collection of games and then you go through those and then you know you buy the whole thing for 10 bucks and then you can flip it for you know a couple hundred bucks and stuff like that yeah um yeah that's absolutely buying the lots and then piecing them out but i mean it was yeah. um like but honestly the biggest thing and this is in any business it was relationships i created relationships with these guys who bought storage units and so anytime they mm-hmm. found old video games dude i mean who were they gonna message me because they knew i'd buy it right then and there so Hmm. You know, uh, anybody like that. There was another guy who did yard sales and stuff, and he'd uh, he'd buy it all and then package it up and sell it to me. And it was just relationships I had created with people that would call me when they had something rather than me having to go find every single deal. And you had a company name around that. It was No So Games, right? Something like that. No So, yeah, No So Games. Yeah, God, do bringing back memories, man. I thought about that <laughs> in a long time. Is that a business? We closed that down once I started getting real busy with my my new job, and it started ramping up. And I think Chris was doing some other things with his career. So, but yeah, that was, I mean, a lesson in entrepreneurship, like raw entrepreneurship. You know, G- Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this all the time. I know you 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 know who he is, but he talks yeah. about flipping all the time, and it can be done. You just got to put the work in. So yeah. that's a our, our neighbor blast. across the street, he uh, he'll I don't know what he does to get access to the old abandoned uh, storage units, man. He'll come back. You, you know, when he hits something, when his trailer is full and his pickup truck is full. And uh, we watched that I mean, show yeah. storage yeah. wars. So it's yeah, called. yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see, like, I think you just invest the time to learn the the, the game, whatever they are. And and if you put in that time, I, I think good things can happen, you know, Um so yeah, do what you know. things online. Yeah. Yeah. Do what you know. Like, like uh, we never went into things we know we didn't know anything about. I tried to do board games, but I don't know anything about board games. And then most wow. of the times they're missing pieces and stuff. So yeah. like, huh? You know, so that, there's it, a market for that too, huh? Yeah. Old, like, especially like the big, you know, thousand piece sets, like the big, like epic uh, RPG games and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. You can make a lot of money, but you know, 
you stick with what you know because I didn't know anything about those and I lost money on a on a few of those. So who knew? Uh, I don't. Uh, this is a funny story, and I don't know if you guys remember. There was an old game in the '90s called Mousetrap, and you yeah. would oh, set yeah. it up on the board, and it had like this little cage that went down and stuff. That game, man. If you can find all the pieces for that game, it's worth some money now online. People will pay good money for that game. So and they turned that into a movie series called Saw. Yeah, it took you like I'm like, I don't know if that's a courtesy <laughs> laugh or what, but thank you. Thank you. Comedian and <laughs> training here. So now you're in the mortgage world, uh, helping um, individuals uh, kind of like you were before, but more fulfilling. You don't have a bad boss type of thing. Um, jumping into that was was that a pretty easy move? Um, how quickly were you able to reestablish some of those relationships? Kind of bring us back to the people who. Uh, you know, if we're, if, if someone's listening and they're like, oh, you know, I, I'm in a bad spot or I want to start something new, like how, what's the day one to kind of day 365 look like to, to kind of get yourself on the feet, on your feet? Well, the, you know, you say zero to 365. I probably started at day 180. I'll be honest, because, you know, I had a career as a banker for 12 years before that. So people saw me as a lender. They saw me as a, you know, a money guy. So it was an easy transition for me to, to tell them, Hey, I'm doing mortgages now. And then to start ramping up my business, I already had the relationships. Does that make sense? So, um, but yeah, I mean, starting out, it, you know, in the mortgage business, you, people don't want a mortgage. They, they want a house. Uh, and so a lot of times they're going to call a real estate agent first. So the, the key, I think in the mortgage business is to create relationships with real estate agents and service them, help them grow their business so that in return, they uh, send their clients uh, to you. I mean, that's the bread and butter of any mortgage business. You know, refinances come and go as rates go up and down, but people are always going to buy houses no matter where rates are. So, yeah, I think that the key really to starting out is just to create the relationships. So. What uh, so in, in other than relationships, what what ways do you or can someone like you differentiate yourself from other mortgage officers? That's a great question because you're as a mortgage guy, we always we all have somewhat the same products. So I think right. that's a great question. But I think what differentiates me and I think how other loan officers try to differentiate themselves is one availability, right? You're, you're always available, even if it's nine o'clock at night, you're going to answer the phone. And two, for me, it's my attention to detail and my ability to educate. So I, I love to teach and, and train and explain. So I take that into my business by making sure I give them a very detailed pre-approval. They know exactly how much the numbers are going to be, what the rate is, payment, um, how much they can afford so that they don't get sticker shock or get upset when they find something you know they like, but they can't buy because the payment's too high. So I actually heard about that story with you the other day, um, how you were very, like you gave someone a range and then there was another mortgage um, lender that didn't. And the person, when they, they did figure it out, they're like sticker shock. Unlike you, who as early as possible was given them that number. And, yep. and that person appreciated that about you and said that that was a, a, you know, a flaw yep. on one side of it, you know, for the other person, but, but good for you. So. 
It's like a, a you know, loan officers are lazy. Uh, we're 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 lazy. I mean, we're commission employees, right? We're going to take the route of, le- of least resistance. And for me, I pride myself on just making sure I do a great job for every single client because it comes around. You know, even if I know I'm not going to make money off of a deal, I will still put in the work that it takes to to get them the information they want. So, I mean, really, just helping people. You help enough people, you don't have to worry about money. You're interesting. You're in a world. Kind of like realtors, kind of realtors, kind of like financial advisors, um, people associated with money and, and, and big transition uh, transactions. When you go to a networking event, a lot of people might be standoffish towards you when they hear your career, right? Not necessarily you, but as soon as they hear I'm one of these these white collar service providers, they're like, oh god, I can't stand that person. I don't want to be around them because they just get bombarded with 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 nonsense over and over and over again. Do you find that you get that sometimes? Do you where, how how quickly do you tell someone what you do as a profession? Do you it, it, am I am I wrong in that? Like because no, you're right. There's a meme uh, among real estate agents. It's like you know, um, there's two scenes. One is two guys standing at a urinal and they're they're like far apart, and then all of a sudden they get close together and they're standing right next to each other at you know in adjacent urinals. And the one guy says, hi, I'm a loan officer. And, you know, the other guy's a real estate agent. So it's like, you know, yes. Yes. You know, there is times where I do You feel like, okay, they're going to be standoffish. But, you know, I'm a person just like they are. So I just get into their pers- personal stuff, you know, maybe not even talk about business. I mean, Zach, you're the pro at this, right? You ask somebody at a networking event, what are you watching on Netflix? So just not even asking what they do. I hate I hate people <laughs> asking about the business stuff because I think it's irrelevant. Yeah. Right. Like like if you're really truly trying to build a real relationship, what they do for a living doesn't matter. And people are like, well, I'm here at a networking event. I'm like, yeah, I understand. But if you're trying to build relationships, that relationship should be based first on actually having not necessarily something in common, but something to talk about outside of the thing that both of you could potentially do business with. And um, yeah, I, 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 obviously I still get a, a ton of pushback from, from that as my first question with people. And I have some other questions in there too that I have as new ones, but it's just like, uh, it doesn't matter, right? Like why, why have the first conversation, why, why have the first answer or question from someone be potentially such a negative thing? Well, and especially when everybody's rehearsed their elevator speech, oh, so you're going to get it. It's all canned, you know, but at least when you ask them a question like that, it caught, it catches them off guard. I help 96% of this type of yeah. uh, target customer uh, create 67% of their life back. Would you like to know how? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, if somebody asks me what I do, it's usually, you know, I, I, getting a mortgage sucks and I make it suck less. I mean, that's really the bottom line. My favorite response ever for that is from um, Chad, who um, was on uh, the show, maybe top 10 episodes, Tim. Yeah, that's Um, been a while. And um, Chad Stencil and his uh, when someone says, hey, what do you do for a living? His response is as little as possible. You. (laughs) And so like. That's what he says. And he spins it back to the other person. and, And I love that line. Like, I think it's hilarious. And sometimes I'll say it and people are like, oh, boy. And so yeah. it's just, it, it's just, it's getting that narrative off of, off of you having to speak about something that. 
it's getting that tension out of the way because like usually there's this like tension like oh hello how are you doing you know and if you say something it just catches them off guard they're like okay all right this guy's a smart aleck <laughs> yeah and over time i mean that's just people are just trained I mean, we're creatures of yeah. habit so it's like that that's you go to a networking event where that's uh professionally related and that just naturally is the first question and to your point zach no one cares and it really yeah, doesn't move more forward either. It's just like, it's a step back, yeah. really. And the thing is, yeah, no one cares until you give them a reason to care. Uh, and so I guess by cutting to the chase with your question, it gives uh, someone a reason to care. Can't believe Ben doesn't watch Netflix. I, you know, I don't watch this as often as you, Zach. I don't watch it that often. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tim? No, one of the things that stood out... Uh, reading so for those that are new to the show we we ask the people that are going to be on the show to fill out a quick form just hey what do you, what do you want to talk about what are some things people are going to learn and uh, so ben when you fill out the the form one of the things that stood out to me was that uh you set up a goal you, you your goal was to to help a thousand homeowners in 10 years so i want to dive into that because i think that having those goals is really really important so i guess to start off how did you how did you come up with a thousand? Um, I'll be honest, it's, it, it was <laughs> I really didn't come up with the goal until I was about three years in. And then I just kind of mm. looked at my average the last three years and uh, just kind of extrapolated from there it was about 100, uh, 90 to 100 clients per year. So I just, you know, I set that goal really. At the time, it was just something fun to do, you know, because you go through these exercises, you you go to some seminar, you hear, okay, you need to set these big, big, hairy, audacious goals. BHAG is one term I remember, big, hairy, audacious goal. So set those big, huge goals. And so I was just doing that exercise and it just came up with it. And I've, I've really track it maybe once every six months and just mm -hmm. kind of see where I am. Um, and right now I'm at, I think, a 570 and I'm like six and a half years in, so I got a little catching up to do. Yeah, five seventy-five according to the form. Yeah, but, yep. uh, but I think that that's really important. You know, one internally to keep you honest, and then you know, the numbers don't lie. But from a uh, from an outsider point of view, when it, when I have to decide I mean, who I want to work with, if I see somebody that has a, a BHAG, you know, that like I want to go with the person that's that's hustling. You know, that you are working towards someone or towards something. I think that that's really cool. Tim loves BHAGs, by the way. That's like his his abbreviation of the year. What do they, they call those things? Yeah. Acronym. Acronym. Acronyms. Loves BHAGs. Well, I just think that, I mean, I just think that it's really, really important that, I mean, if you don't, if you don't challenge yourself, then you're just kind of going through the motions and uh, you're, you're just wasting time. Yeah, and, and, and you don't have to have that right when you start and i didn't like i had I, like when you start doing something you don't know what you're capable of you don't know like how yeah. big the goal should be so well like, honestly, just... it took me a little while to make it so yeah well i mean so uh like one of the things that i don't know if you saw it on twitter zach but uh, two days ago was my nine year run streak anniversary so i haven't missed a day of running in nine years so like to your point ben i, I did not say, Hey man, I'm going to go, I'm going to run for nine years straight, not miss a day. It was one of those things. It was just like, Hey man, it, it turned into 30 days and then 30 turned into 60. And I was like, maybe I can do a hundred, maybe I can do a year. And you know, so now I'm just out there every day. So 
And then once yeah. you hit that, and once you hit like let's say the ten year mark, then you're probably going to say, "All right, I'll let's do another 10. Well, you know, and that, that was that a thing. 10 I, felt easy. Yeah, I I told Zach, I was like, "Man, if I qualify for Boston, the the day after I run Boston, I'm I'm going to end the streak." And uh, I failed. I failed at that twice. So miserably. <laughs> so you got to keep going. What? So where are you on that list? You sent me this like three years ago. There's a list of people who have run at least one mile a day. I think it's yeah, yeah. something like that. Where are you on that list? I don't know. I mean, like, like I haven't. Who I don't pay attention. List? Well, there's like a, a the run guy who streak. won was like 50 years old. Yeah, or there's like a years. run streak uh, uh, membership kind of thing. And like in Virginia, and it's been a while since I've looked, but I, I don't even come close to even being on the top of that list. For I mean, like people have way way longer than me on that list do you think but you're I, close to ending that no i feel great um so and as long as i feel great and i'm having fun with it i mean it's just uh yeah I, it's just part of my life it's just that's just what i do i love that it's like 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 that's it <laughs> it's yeah, just you know I it's mean, a principle it's, uh, you it, built it into the fabric of your life i love that and the, and the same holds true in terms of uh, what the goal that you set. I mean, it's just like, hey, once you hit a thousand, you know, then that let's do another thousand. Exactly. It's just, it's just part of your fabric now. Yeah. It's just every every day you just wake up and grind. And then all That's of a right. sudden you look back and you're like, holy crap. So um, let's think, let's think about someone whose goal is to buy a house. Right. And their goal is to buy a house. Maybe they've saved up some money um to to do so they think that they can afford it and they're uh they contact you or um or, or someone in your in your field and they realize that hey you know the interest rates are absolutely um obnoxious right now and maybe this isn't the right time um is that a true statement or is is are, are they obnoxious right now or are we just yeah. hearing that yeah they're the media? definitely obnoxious okay um <laughs> definitely and obnoxious. Uh, how do you how do you combat that conversation? What do you what do you say to these individuals that you know are probably ready, want to, but now are maybe a little on the fence because seven and a half percent is uh, is vicious. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, look, the, the most people don't remember their interest rate; they remember their monthly payment, right? You know, like you probably couldn't tell me the exact interest rate on your mortgage, Zach. It's 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 all about the monthly payment. You know how much comes out of your account every month. So I would say. To them, you know, here I, I would give them all of the information. Here is what the payment is at four hundred thousand. Here's what the payment is at three hundred thousand, and so on. And then you you can choose where your payment is just by shopping in that price range. So the biggest thing, determinant of your payment is obviously we can't control interest rate, but is the purchase price. So you can control the purchase price by the house that you can afford. Um, you know and Honestly, that's what I do. I, I empower them to make the best decision for them because everybody's different. Some people don't mind paying a higher percentage of their income in, in housing. Some people want to pay lower. So I just try to empower them and give them the, the best information. If they ask me for advice, I give my advice. So, so yeah, I would say to those people, shop in, that price, in the price range where your payment is affordable. Yeah, I'm curious. Are are people are are people starting to be more optimistic that rates are going to go down? Are they looking at uh, like five year arms or something like that? To, that expecting that these rates can't maintain seven and a half percent or whatever they're at now. 
Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people that are predicting that. And I, I would say don't base your decision off of that. Base it off <laughs> right. of what your payment and what you can afford right now. And then if it goes down, that's a bonus. Um, you know, but there are a lot of people, especially, you know, economists, um, people in the industry, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months, rates will most likely come down. So um, one thing this is, and I'll mention this is uh, it, it has to do with interest rates is that the problem we're seeing right now is inv inventory is so low because in America, we use a 30 year fixed rate mortgage. So nowhere else in the world is do they use a 30-year fixed rate like we do in America. So I think like 85 or 90% of the mortgages written in America are a 30-year fixed rate. And so it is the bank who's taking the interest rate risk. So what you have right now is when the interest rates go up to 7%, you've got somebody sitting at 25 or 3% and they don't want to sell their home. Why would right. they if they don't have to? Um, whereas you look at Europe, Australia, other uh, developed Western countries that have a, a like a mortgage industry, they they're doing adjustable rates, five or seven year adjustable rate mortgages. So it's the it's the customer that the homeowner is taking the interest rate risk, not the bank. And so you don't see this phenomenon uh, in a lot of places because of that. So it's it's really interesting what's going on right now, um, and that's going to I think continue to see house prices go up because of that. One of the things, Zach, you remember we were talking about this uh, a few episodes ago. One of the things we talked about that that some of the uh, startup companies around here that have faced was they're they're trying to bring people, relocate people in from Silicon Valley, Austin, uh, but the inventory in this area is extremely low that they're having trouble bringing people in. Is that in fact true that the inventory in Hampton Roads is really low, or is it just? Or that's a that's a national phenomenon, but I think uh, I don't think Hampton Roads is any worse or better than the national average. In fact, I'd have to look at it, but my assumption would be that we're probably inventory is a little better around here because we have military moving in and out. That would just be my assumption, but I haven't seen the numbers. But yes, that that's a national phenomenon because of what I just talked about. I mean, again, yeah. people aren't going to trade up to make their pa payment go up a thousand bucks for the same exact house. So. Yeah, it's I, I, I the whole thing is really fascinating to me, just in the sense of uh, when you when you have older people that are getting ready to retire, they're trying to downsize, and then with divorces, that I mean, like there's so many people that are all trying to to get the same value home, uh, you know, from different yeah first time buyers i mean there's just it's just fascinating to watch yep. all this stuff take place and 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 as a result the inventory being so low yeah i mean it's yeah so that when people tell me that real estate prices are going to crash or they're waiting to buy until they crash i just don't see it i just i don't know what the catalyst is this supply this is a supply side issue supply is low whereas in 2008 when the crash happened it was the demand side the demand yeah. is extremely high um, so I think the many of those houses in eight didn't actually change. Right. And so they're still sitting parallel to the same prices. There are some cities like Las Vegas that dramatically dropped, but houses in the Northern Virginia area, I mean, those prices have continued to skyrocket. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my childhood house that was bought 30 something years ago is still at a five X from when they bought it yeah. and it never really decreased from that. And so it's, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like, hey, like go sell your house, sure, but then you got to buy a house that's 
<laughs> that's probably however much more, you know, some, some multiplier on top of that, that you're going to have to pay for a roughly the same size house. And does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It really will. I, I don't know how you fix it. Uh, rates don't seem to be fixing it. They seem to, in fact, be making the house prices worse, I mean, go up even more, but we'll see. You, you yeah, seem I, to be. No, it's just wild to watch all this take place. Yeah, you seem to be a pretty, pretty, pretty uh, busy person um, with, you know, 100 clients a year in there trying to get to the thousand, um, going to uh, a plethora of networking events, getting your name out there, doing shows like this. Are you productive? Are you how, how do you how do you get all this stuff in a day in, in a daily basis to be the routine that makes makes it good for you? I mean, I think like a lot of people, you keep a to-do list. Um, and then for me, I just put a little dollar sign next to the stuff that's going to make me money. And I try to always do that mm. stuff first. You know, um, in my business, I'm 100% commissioned. So, you know, if I don't close loans, I don't get paid. So I try to stick to money-making activities. But, it, you know, just like anybody, it's it's not easy. I feel like my to-do list, it gets longer the more I check off, you know. That money sign thing yep. is something that I... I would be willing to bet that 95% of people don't do. Yeah, that's super. That's a cool hack. I, uh, I will, I will incorporate that into my to-do list. I was talking yeah. to someone the other day and they're, they're basically saying, Oh, here's all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm like, you need to prioritize things that will make you money. Yeah. I think that mentally I've always done it, but I have not physically do it. You know, and I think that uh, on top of that, I'll probably put a, a dollar sign next to stuff that makes money and a heart that just makes me feel good. And, uh, just to try to remind myself that, hey, man, I like to be nice and, and I have a hard time saying no. But at the same time, you know, you got to focus on generating revenue. Will you I put a money my... sign on things that could lead to money? Not like mm -hmm. a, writing a blog post, but like if you're in a sales meeting, you would put a money sign like this is a prospect meeting. No, I mean, well, if I was meeting with a client, yeah, to talk about a mortgage or a possible sale. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But not if I was in my company sales meeting. That's. More like a time waster. <laughs> so, um, but you know, there's, in addition to that, I mean, there's also, I've created a ton of processes in my business that have helped uh, propel. I mean, just like anybody else, you got, you have to create systems so that if somebody uh, is coming in behind you, they could replicate it. Or, you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over, it's nice to know how to do it. So I send out the same exact email all the time. I mean, every transaction is pretty much the same. The same email goes out. So I've just created these templates and systems that uh, automatic follow-up systems or uh, email templates that have really helped me automate, automate everything. So um, also one thing that saves me a ton of time is not taking applications over the phone anymore. So I used to sit on the phone and actually type in all the information mm. as they gave it to me. And that, um, it's just honestly a waste of time because we all know you could go to the website and fill it out yourself. And we, you have all of your information saved in your Google Chrome, your name, your address, like you could just hit and go to next. So it's so much better. And I think I can have a much more meaningful conversation with the person too, if they complete the application ahead of time. And then I, uh, I could go through everything and literally talk to them about the mortgage instead of filling out little boxes. So I think those two things, not filling out applications and creating the templates have been huge. Was that hard to 
implement something that you had been doing for so long to then be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to have you do that, which you should do probably. Yeah, I mean, obviously there are things that I, that they miss or they don't put in there uh, because I didn't ask the right questions and stuff like that. So I would say that has come back, you know, I don't want to say to bite me, but I have had some surprises come up at the end uh, because of that. But honestly, there's it's so minimal that it's worth it's worth the time. Honestly, it's mm -hmm. a huge time saver. Take you know, fill out a loan application, take you 30, 40 minutes over the phone. It'd take you 15 minutes on your phone, uh, you know, to do online. So yeah. we kind of do the same thing by just filtering out. Not to say that you were trying to filter people, but with this show, if someone's like, oh, I want to be on the show, I'm like, cool, fill out this form. If they don't yep. fill out the form, they can't be on the show. And it's it's not really that hard or difficult. It's a handful of questions that you probably, if you own a business or in the business world, should be able to answer fairly easily. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of self-filtering people where it's like, okay, like. You're right about that, Zach, because when I clicked on it the first time, I was like, okay, I can fill this out real quick. I started into it and then I, then I scrolled down, saw the rest. I was like. All right, I'm gonna do that later. <laughs> but it still shouldn't. I mean, if if it's if you're on your phone, maybe so. But if if I tell everyone, if it if it takes longer than five minutes, you're doing it wrong. But I mean, primarily though, it's it's to help yeah. the guests. So now we uh yeah we have your social media handles. We can pro cross promote, and it's uh you know it's it's well but like yeah, but it filters. You know, it, there's you got to see how serious like how serious are you? Are you willing to right. go through this little hoop? That's right. You know? So. Yeah. And, and shout out to superhuman. I don't know what you use for your email platform, but superhuman, I, uh, to your point in terms of templates, they're called snippets. So I have a whole laundry list of snippets that are, are I would, I would s slow down and ask myself, what are the same emails that I'm constantly typing over and over and over and over again? And with, uh, with superhuman, I mean, I just have s everything already pre pre-populated for all the questions like, Hey man, let's schedule a meeting. It's like, all right. I, I know what my hotkey is to send someone the link to my calendar to pick out a time, you know, and wow. it's just like, I save so much time using superhuman that it's just, man, it's just, I use outlook and it is not that sophisticated. Well, superhuman yeah. supports outlook. So uh, yeah, you should take a look at that. I'm gonna take Give a us another that. example that you use for that. For me. Tim. Yeah. Oh. Um, so like, what are ways to start wheel? What are ways to start wheel can help me or, Hey, I'm a founder and I need to, you know, what are some things that I need to pay attention to? And so like, I got to the point where I was like, all right, you need to focus on your product. You need to focus on your customer. You have to focus on your runway. You know, those types of things that I just kept on typing over and over and over again. I just like, I just create a snippet or even on the start peninsula side, it's like, uh, yeah, we created the the snippets to like oh you're approved to pitch now these are the what these are your next steps you know so it just you know and, and and you can put placeholders in there you know your bracket first name whatever so that and it won't allow you to send it unless you put in that person's name or whatever mm. it just saves me so much time that sounds like why i wrote this <laughs> but a lot of a lot of people don't get it you know you got to slow down so you can speed up and uh I don't normally do a plug Zach, for the book. Chat GPT yeah. could write that book in 25 seconds now. So it can't because I've can tried it. getting it to. <laughs> so that that's another interesting thing, right? Chat GPT, that's going to take over the world, man. Um, I, uh, I've heard that's a great way to make templates as well. Um, so, yeah. You know, and I took this hack from, uh, from Jason Calacanis, but like that is like my new my new home screen for my, my web browser. And I'm trying to train my brain to use that as my first step for doing everything. I and mean, that's ultimately what Google is. Interesting. 
Um, so instead, well, of, Google, so instead Google, of it being Google, you'll just type in your your what you want to Google into ChatGPT. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, Google will give you a whole bunch of blue links that you need to scroll through to try to find the right answer, whereas ChatGPT will give you the right answer. Um, you hope hopefully. it gives you the right, get right Hopefully the well, right answer. The thing about it is, so the time that you save by starting at the 80% solution, I mean, you sure. can't copy and paste like a numbskull and then, uh, you know, and then be like, yep, this is gospel. It came from ChatGPT. I mean, you still got to read through it and you got to tailor it and edit it and make sure there's not any hallucinations or anything in there. But to start at you know, 75 or 80% solution is way, way more time effective. Will it, and will it tell you, you hallucinations? Yeah, that's what they're called when it tells you just a straight up fallacy uh and just makes up something because it doesn't know the answer yeah they call it a hallucination i never heard that but that's the first time yeah. we've talked about that on the show this is great yeah. so does it does it give you the links to all the sites that it used to it to does yeah it? so that's a big debate right now is like uh google bard is starting to uh do work cited um with links but uh you know then it's talked about that there's a lot of pending uh lawsuits in terms of you know what what sources has trained that large language model or LLM for the data that it's using. But um, where, where are they getting the information? They're just scraping the, the information superhighway. That's what they've done in, in years. They're past. just taking yeah. that, that top answer on Google. You know, the one that's in bold when you type in a question. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that's why, that, just uh, copy it in. yeah, that's that. But that's why like Twitter locked everything down because you're like, no, you're not in, in like Reddit is Reddit's going to probably end up making, hundred million dollars a year to give someone access to train their large, their LLM. I mean, big, big money on the data and the training sets for, and so Facebook has their stuff locked down. Anyone that has all this, all this training data, you know, they've, they've, they've locked it down because they know that they're going to, they're going to. So, you're, so you're saying that Reddit could sell all of the, the comments and the posts of, of all time for this AI to analyze. Yep. Yep. Jesus. Yeah, it, 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 they'll, they'll probably get 100 million a year. You don't think they're already doing that? They've locked it down. Uh, yeah, I would think, I would think they don't they give all this stuff to data aggregators and they're already. Yeah, they, they, they've locked it all it. down. So that does not happen. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch all that stuff. How do you find clients, Ben? Like I said, people, people don't want a mortgage, they want a house. So I, um, Realtors are the biggest source of my business, honestly. Uh, real estate agents, I just make sure to help them grow their business and help their clients make sure they're happy. Their clients are happy. Um, so they come real source, then they feel comfortable with you. You get them the the house of their clients' dreams, and they're able to get them the actual, you know, financial paperwork, if you will. Um, yeah, I make the process easy for them. I mean, you're getting a loan is not an easy process. So I try to make it as easy as possible on the real estate agent and the client to you know, just get the closing done on time and with the least amount of paperwork possible. Because that's ultimately much, my job. How much easier would it be on, on customers of yours if they contacted you sooner versus later? Oh, that's a great question. Um I would just think I, that like, man, you're so far down the pathway when they, it, when it comes to, you've already dealt with the realtor, you got the house, you're, you're, you're emotionally attached to everything. And then it's like, Oh, let me talk to Ben. Ben just killed my dreams. You know, whereas <laughs> if you talk to Ben, like at the beginning, you'd be like, to your point, well, if you want a $300,000 house or a $400,000 house, this is what you're looking at. These are the things that you need to work towards to be pre-qualified. 
Yeah, I'd say before you go looking at houses, definitely. Well, let's talk. You know, let me give you the payments rate so you know exactly where you stand. Are people not um, doing? I, I would imagine realtors would want someone to be pre-approved beforehand before they talk. Yes, to them, so they most, can be there. most of the time, if, if it's an experienced real estate agent, they're going to require a pre-approval letter before they show a buyer any houses. But, you know, there are some newer agents who are hungrier for business that will that will do that. So, you know, it's um, and just take the risk and hope that it doesn't. I guess, Backfire? but yeah, but yeah, to answer your, yes. Yeah. But to answer your question, Tim, about it, it definitely before they go get, go shopping for a house. But if, if you think you have credit issues or you think there's going to be something weird about your pre-approval, the more time, the better, right? Credit mm -hmm. is not something that you can fix quickly, but it can be fixed. It takes a little bit of time though. So, you know, don't come, don't come a week before you want to go shopping and we, we have to work on credit issues because it's, it's not going to work out like that. We need we need time. So if you think there's going to be issues or something weird about your pre-approval, you, you're switching jobs, you're self-employed, your uh, your credit score isn't isn't as good as you'd like it. Whatever the situation is, let's talk ahead of time. And I you know, a lot of people are scared of a credit inquiry, you know, and I can even do a soft credit inquiry where it's not like an actual inquiry for credit, but we can see where you are kind of thing. Yeah. Can we touch on that real quick? You talked about uh, self-employed. So if you're a founder of a company and and that company is less than three years old, what are some things that, that, that they should be putting in place or should be thinking about um, when they, when they start the company, if they know that uh, at some point I want to get a house, you know, what are, what are some things that they can do in preparation to make that easier? So, so there, there are two different routes with self-employed and I'm just talking about in, income. Income is always the hardest thing for a self-employed person because they either don't show any income or they haven't filed enough tax returns to qualify. So there's two routes a self-employed person can go. One is like a traditional conventional loan, which is what I do, your 30-year fixed rate, plain vanilla mortgage. And then there are what they call... Uh, non-QM, non-qualified mortgage. It's basically a fancy term for alternative loans. I don't want to say subprime because that's a bad term, but they're, <laughs> they're just loans that calculate their income differently. All right. So the biggest thing I would say for a self-employed person is to um, not write off every single thing that you can. Just because you can write it off doesn't mean you should. Uh, you know, the we don't use top line income. We use profits at the bottom. Now, obviously there are things that as a business owner on your tax returns that you don't, that aren't real expenses. Number one is depreciation. Depreciation is not a real expense. It's not dollars out of your pocket. So we actually add that back to your profit. So let's say you only had 30,000 in profits and you had 10,000 in depreciation. Well, now you have 40,000 in income to qualify. So the biggest thing I would say is don't write off every single thing that you can and to show a loss, because if you're not going to pay much in taxes, then you're not going to qualify for much with your mortgage. Mm. So that'd be the, honestly, the biggest thing is to, is to just show income on your tax returns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, cause you could be a founder, uh, you know, you just close a big funding round and, uh, yeah, people are like, all right, man, I'm going to sell some stuff on the secondary or whatever to get a house. And it's like, man, you don't have the, uh, you don't have all the right stuff in place to 
to yeah, I mean, the, it's the purchase happen. You know, people don't people think we could just use a PL or we're just going to use what they made last month. No, we take the last two years of federal tax returns that were filed, and there's a, literally a, a Excel spreadsheet where you plug all the numbers in and it spits out the number, but it's basically your gross profit on your business for the last yeah. two years averaged. Yeah, I feel so, for I feel for you in, in some of that regard because uh, it's not like you're the ones making the decision. I mean, your hands are tied. Uh, I mean, it's just yeah. Without, there are the regulation is a regulation. If they don't show a lot of income, if a self-employed person doesn't show a ton of income, there are alternatives, but the interest rates are going to be higher. Um, but they could qualify with those. Even if you show a loss on your tax return, you can still qualify with some of the alternative programs. But your interest rate is going to be two, three, four percent higher mm. because the risk is higher. So, is that conversation hard to have, or have you done enough of them now? Where you're just like, yeah, you don't, you're not going to do it. Here, it is. What I it mean, is. no, it's always difficult. I mean. It just you want I just want to I just explain it like I said I give them the most information uh, that I can you know I'm not going to just BS them and say no it just can't be done and not explain why I'm going to explain why I'll send them what the worksheet looks like you know any piece of information they want to know you know I I I do what I what I would how I would want to be treated like tell me why don't just tell me no tell me why mm -hmm. or give me an alternative. So yeah. I'd say it's hard to have, but it's it's getting easier. What what's something that um, is going to be disrupted in the real estate world? So, for example, we've had a guest on the show that is doing the equivalent of micro purchasing of stocks for one stock in basically in a home. Uh, it's called pocket properties, uh, where I guess there's. I don't know how many people can can be buying that house, but but several at once, and then they come into it together to to purchase a house. Is, is that a good assessment of what they do, Tim? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll yeah. they'll create a special purple per, per, special purpose vehicle an SPV, and yeah, you can. Well, is, they, that, um, is that using crypto tokens or how are they tokenizing? No, uh, but they're they're going through the whole FINRA certification thing so that uh, you can get fractional shares of uh, investment property, you know, kind of thing. Okay. Is that something that, like, what do you think is going to be disrupted in the future? What, hearing that quick little business model, like, do you, like, is that a big red flag for you? Like, what, like, what, where's the future of real estate going in, in your mind? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, the FinTech industry uh, is really interesting. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that can be done there. And when you talk about um, that app, it's like a crowdfunding app to purchase mm -hmm. real estate, which is usually for multi-unit properties. You're talking, you know, anything f f above four units. So you're, you know, maybe even a hundred unit apartment building that people are investing in. So I, I don't know their business model, but I would assume it's not single family homes. Um, but the re but the, that does not affect what I do because I can only loan up to a four unit property. I can't do anything over four units. So, um, you know, the people I work with are homeowners, home buyers, um, some investors, but that's not a huge part of my business. So for me personally, I don't think that piece would affect uh, the mortgage business. I think um, what I'm more, I don't want to say scared about, but is interesting to me is like uh, some of these like really low cost broker shops that are popping up 
that um, like churn and burn loans kind of thing. To, I don't know. They're kind of fly by night shops. So I, I think those are a sort of a threat to our industry because they give us a bad reputation. You know, they don't take the client's best interest that hard. They sort of open up to as many mortgages as they can. And when market conditions change, they just kind of close up. We call them like sort of fly by night mortgage shops or pop up broker shops, something like that. But I think those can give us a bad reputation as mortgage people because those people don't care about the customer. So to me, that's the bigger threat, I think. How much did how much did something like uh, Rocket Mortgage and how much did that disrupt the industry? Well, I, honestly, I, I think it's a great thing. It disrupted it because it, it created competition and it forced, you know, companies like mine who back in the early 2000s was sort of late to adopt technology. Now we've got, you know, the app, we've got people filling out online. You can upload your dot, you do the entire pre-approval online. So I think, I think it was a great thing, honestly. And for, for me, what I offer is completely different than Rocket Mortgage. I'm a personal service, you know, kind of kind of deal it's, you're not going to get that at rocket mortgage so it, i thought it was a great thing because it brought the technology up what's something you want to talk about that we haven't talked about um i don't know maybe your beard how's that be, how's that how's that beard coming i'm trying to be <laughs> Wish santa. i could grow one honestly it's santa in july i think tim no. has a better beard than me no i don't think so i think that's no Tim's a little more organized. His beard's a little no, more organized. No, that's not true. He, it is summer, and he is running six miles a day, and he doesn't want – his beard is always longer in the winter and shorter in the summer. And so he, this is just his summer beard. Then you got me, <laughs> who is like, screw it. I don't care how hot it is, um, and I'm just going to rock out um, – rock the – the beer this time like three years ago i just like uh you know on your phone it'll pop up like featured photos from like the past my beard was like three inches longer and just like ridiculous um because you know that's when um the barbershops were closed during the old coco days so um it ain't that bad right now ben munson yeah you know, one thing we I, I did want to talk about is is crypto. You know, I'm I'm into the crypto thing a little bit, even Are though. Are you still? Yeah. Is, is, industry... that, is, is it still alive, or do you think it uh, is it just dormant for a little while? Uh, I'm I've I'm a I'm a, a Bitcoin fanboy, so I'm always yeah. going to be on the Bitcoin train. You know, I just I yeah, I think tech- yeah. I'm curious your take. I think Bitcoin's going to be. I mean, that's just that's going to be here for a while. But the other stuff that came up, I think, is on pause. But well, the, isn't that the know, equivalent of what you could say, like Chat GPT and like all of these other AI things? It's like okay, there's going to be a few that are going to make it, and if and then you know, the majority of them will go away. You know, kind of like all these other like Dogecoin and you know, well, I don't especially know, with the or, SEC is cracking yeah. down on a lot of those yeah. cryptos now, man. And so I think you're going to see a huge decrease in the number of ICOs coming out. All these exchanges are going to close. Um, I honestly think it's going to be a, a good thing for Bitcoin because Bitcoin's sort of got some legitimacy in the yeah. financial markets for like, you know, they talk about it on CNBC so that was always my my first thing it was like okay if they're talking about these on the big boy media networks and they got banners across just like the stock uh stock market that's a big sign that this has some sort of legitimacy to it to your point um where it is the a standard ones, 
Yeah. I, look, I do think first mover is important in that case. It is, but I think that the biggest, you know, the thing, and maybe you can expand on this, Ben, that right now I think the biggest challenge that Bitcoin has is just that people use it as a store of currency. You know, they're not using it from a transactional, hey, I'm going to buy a slice of pizza today for a fraction of a Bitcoin because you know, 10 years from now, that slice of pizza could be, uh, you know, $100,000. So everyone's just holding it as a store of currency. Well, I think it used to be uh, spendable, but the problem is that the fees are so high uh, with Bitcoin. So the without getting too technical, there's two schools of thought with the Bitcoin developers, right? There's what they call the big blockers, which are people that want uh, lower transaction fees, more transactions to be crammed into one block, which means that the cost of a transaction goes down. Mm. So that's why Bitcoin Cash was created actually, because Bitcoin, um, the big blockers did not want Bitcoin fee, uh, did not want to bring down Bitcoin fees. They like the high fees because it rewards the miners. The miners are the ones that get the fees and they're all about the, the miners, I guess, the big blockers. So Bitcoin Cash was sort of a fork of that blockchain that was created to be more of a cash based uh, crypto. So, you know, Bitcoin Cash, it might cost you less than a penny to do a transaction, whereas Bitcoin, it's going to cost you a dollar or two dollars to send some Bitcoin, no matter even if you send a dollar of Bitcoin, it's going to cost you a dollar. So it just mm. kills the transaction ability with Bitcoin. Hmm. So, you know, I think it's by design. Stay tuned is what I'm hearing. Stay tuned. Yeah. So, you know, the, the mortgage business does not like crypto. So you can't use it to buy a house. We can't use it as income. So don't don't disclaimer. Don't take this the wrong way. This is my personal <laughs> opinions of what I like about crypto. So, well, I remember hearing just a, um, recently how many uh, professional athletes have taken some of their money in crypto, and it just you know let's say they were getting ten million dollars, they give it to them ten million dollars in crypto, and now that's you know that was ultimately they were idiots. Grand. You never yeah. put all your eggs in one basket. Have they not right. heard this say before? <laughs> Like, that's just idiotic. Why would you take right. your entire salary of Bitcoin? Well, you heard it here first. I guess they had other sponsorships and stuff that they were living off of, but I don't know. But that's crazy to me. Crazy world. Well, Ben, it's been absolutely a pleasure uh, chit-chatting with you. Um, this is probably the longest talk we've had since uh, the old hatch days. Um, I just want to um, congratulate you on um, 575. Yes, on your yep. 575. Good luck on the 425 next. Uh, and enjoy your uh, video game chair. Um, it looks very Absolutely. comfortable. Absolutely. Thank you. You need to get one of the me. 40, you need to get like the 40 year old virgin one where like the, 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 oh, like the joystick? Uh, <laughs> yeah, are in the chair. Hang on, I got it's that. Like, oh, God. Oh, oh we, we lost, lost him. him. Uh, oh, he did. He it disconnected was, himself. Oh, it was so close. We were so close to getting something. Stay tuned. Yeah. For we'll our future episode where we will make sure that that, um, that comes technology. Oh, I was yeah. so excited to see where we were with that. But toodles until next week. So long. Thank you for listening. Cheers.